don't have a cute little table. This is water. I need water. I get a little nervous. So I get a little parched. I'm going to keep my water up here. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to High Point. Happy Mother's Day. It's so great to be here with you this morning. Before we jump in, I just want to highlight a few things that have already been said. But I know all of us have different experiences and different lives that we've lived, different um, just times with our own mom or maybe as being a mom. And so this morning, I want to recognize if you've lost a mother way too soon or if you've lost um, one that's dear to you that's been like a mom, I just want to say thank you for coming here today and spending your Mother's Day with us. It means so much to us. So happy Mother's Day. I'm just praying that God's peace and his comfort and his love is just going to cover you this morning. Amen? Amen. All right, well, Andy introduced me. Got me like emotional down there. I was like, you can't. I didn't have him play any videos coming up. I was like, I always cry at the little Mother's Day video, so don't put anything up there. Then he gets up here and cries. It's never happened. It was a cry. I saw the tears. I saw them. Um, Yes, so Andy is my husband's lead pastor here. We moved here a couple years ago to plant this church, and it has been an incredible journey. An incredible adventure, if you will. And I just couldn't imagine doing anything else. I love serving alongside of him, doing ministry with him. But there's another role that God has given me that I absolutely love, and that's the role of a mother. I have four little ones. I say little because I'm just trying to keep them growing. (laughs) My um, oldest is eight, his Graham. And then I have Caroline, who's six, Morgan, who's four, and Beckett, who's one and a half. And Beckett, if you see him, just watch out. He, if you squat to the floor, he's just going to tackle you. That's like how it goes down in my house. If I'm bending down to do something, the next thing I know, he's just barreling me over. So if you're here at church and he's walking around, be careful if you get near to the floor. Um, but I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about just some funny stories, you know, as being a mother. And I thought about time a few years ago. Andy and I were in St. Louis. And he was actually just there. And we went to the St. Louis Zoo with Graham. He was under a year old. And so we thought, what better thing to do than go to St. Louis? Plus, it's free. The zoo is free in St. Louis. This is your travel tidbit for today. Um, So we're at the St. Louis Zoo. And we decided to go check out the gorilla enclosure. And so when you walk in, it's actually up at the top. And it makes this big horseshoe. You go down the ramp. So at the bottom, you can look up at the, at the glass and up this big hill, and then it wraps around. So we walk in, and we're at the top, and we see the gorillas at the top of the hill, and we're like, ooh, you know, everyone is looking at them, and, or her, I don't know if it was a boy or a girl. But we walk down to the bottom, and we're looking, and I feel like this gorilla is looking at me, and I'm just like, is he looking at me? I feel like he's looking at me, you know, but nobody was paying attention to me. And then all of a sudden, this gorilla stands up, and he's definitely looking at me. Galloping down this hill, comes right up to me, slams the glass, and at that point, I think I blacked out or something. I basically planked over my son. I was like, ah, take cover. I'm going to be that story on the 6 o'clock news. And after I wrestled the gorilla to the ground, no, the glass didn't break, thank goodness. But this moment of fear and trembling came over me, and my instinct was, protect the baby. I don't know what Andy was doing, by the way. I was gone. <laughs> but I stayed.
made and protected my young. And so, and so I had that moment of instinct just flood over me. And there's something that is such incredible about a mom. If you watch planet Earth, you hear all these amazing facts about these animals and the instincts that they have. But there is an instinct that we have that's incredible, a protective instinct. And so today I want to highlight the story of a woman who really doesn't get much airtime, if I can say that, in the Bible. Her, her time is very, very small. But her protective instinct and her trust in the Lord, it challenges me. And I want to highlight her today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. God, we thank you so much that you're here. Father, we welcome you here. And God, we ask that you would just soften our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes to see today, that you would open our ears to hear today, that you would open our minds, God, that you would unlock hardened hearts this morning. Father, we ask that you would move mightily through this message for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible this morning, you can turn to Exodus. If you have the Version app, you can scroll to Exodus. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 1. Piano's a little too far back, but that's okay. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 1, and I'm going to give you just a little backstory so you know kind of where we're going with this. Um, there's a new pharaoh. A pharaoh is the one in order. Think president, but more like a king. He's the king of Egypt at this time. So we're going way back. This is before Jesus ever walked the earth. And we have a pharaoh that's placed in power. And when this pharaoh takes the seat of power in Egypt, um, he notices that the Hebrew people, or God's people, as we will see here in a moment, are multiplying in number. And this man is not one of God's people. He's getting a little nervous. What if there's an uprising? What if all these people who are multiplying, who are not our own, what's going to happen? I, I can't let them grow in number. So he decides that the best thing to do is to put this entire people into slavery. And so he sends all these people into slavery. He makes this the order. But somehow, even though these people were greatly oppressed, if you read this um, in Exodus 1, it'll say that they were greatly oppressed, that they were worked ruthlessly. But somehow during all of this, the Hebrew people continued to multiply in number. They continued to grow in size. And so the Pharaoh, he had to come up with another solution. So he decides that the best thing to do is... We'll start here in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 through 21, and we're going to just read through this for a moment. This is what Pharaoh decides is the best thing to do at this stage. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Puah, I hope I said your name right, um, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby, boy, the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered uh, Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous. That's a great way to be described. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. 
So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So we see the first attempt Pharaoh has made on the Hebrew people is, I'm going to put them into slavery. They're still growing. Second attempt is to hire, to tell all the midwives, all the Hebrew midwives, to kill all the baby boys. And I just got to say, these midwives are unbelievably courageous. The fact that they didn't take orders from the Pharaoh, and they feared God, and God honored them for that. So now Pharaoh's second attempt is failing. And so he decides, well, I'm just going to tell all of my people that any Hebrew boys who are born, we're going to take care of it. So this is what he does. He says, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people in Exodus 1, Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now we're going to jump into Exodus 2, 2 through 10. I'm going to bring it all together for us. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Excuse me, I didn't give enough space there. So she puts him in the Nile. Then we start in chapter, uh, verse 5, excuse me. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it, and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. All right, so in short summary, we have an evil man that's in power. He's enslaved a whole people group. He's tried to, he's attempted murder once, and then he has succeeded in murder a third time. He's told all of his people that any Hebrew boys that are born, throw them in the Nile. I want to highlight the mother of this baby that took the courage to go against this order. So let's, let's just talk about her for a second. So we're introduced to a couple in Exodus 2 who give birth to a baby boy, and they see this baby's a fine child. Can we just talk about the fact that she hid him for three months? Have any of you ever been around a child, a newborn baby, a one-month, a two-month, three-month-old? The fact that she was able to hide this baby for three months is miraculous in and of itself. I don't even know how she gave birth to this baby without being heard, but she did. She gives birth to this baby, and then she cares for him secretly for three months. That in and of itself is a miracle. That I mean, he must have been a very well-fed baby. I don't know. So... <laughs> that was a big boy. So 
She hid him for three months, but then comes to the place of going, you know what, I can't hide him any longer. So then she decides, she ha- well, she has two choices. She has get caught and know that my baby's going to be killed or take a very big risk and just see what might happen, her instinct. So can we just show, I have a picture of a papyrus basket. Can you put that up for me? Okay, so... Now, this isn't the basket that he was placed in, okay? But this is one of, this is an ideal uh, basket that was made during this time period. Um, If you're listening online, you can just Google ancient Egypt papyrus basket. Um, But she covers this basket in tar and pitch, okay? So we're not talking about she gets the best, uh, you know, most best reviewed thing on Amazon to put him in she makes a basket and then she covers it with tar and pitch for a flotation device I can't I'm I'm not crafty so I don't even know how she even did this but she she does she makes this basket and then she has to go through the agony of putting her baby in the basket he's three months old He's three months old. He's, not, he's been hidden for three months as well. So, I mean, I don't know if he's ever even been exposed to the outdoors, but, you know, could you even imagine having to go through the agony of placing your little baby in this basket? But she does it. She has no other choice. So she lays him in the basket, and it says that she put him in the reeds on the bank of the Nile. So this isn't a little pretty brook with a waterfall. This is the Nile River. Can you show a picture of the Nile River? Okay, so this also is not the exact dropping point of Moses, but this is a picture of the Nile River for us to just transport ourselves there this morning. Okay, I'm trying to get us to just go into her shoes for just a few minutes today. So she puts her baby in the basket in the reeds along the bank of this river. She has no other choice. Either I know he's going to get thrown into the Nile or... I can make my own basket and pray that when I put him in here, God's going to spare his life somehow. She's putting him into a body of water that is not man-made. This isn't, you know, where they put farmed fish in the water. There are wild creatures. There are hippos. Hippos are mean. They're not nice. There are hippos that live in this water. There are also Nile crocodiles, which are massive predators. Danger everywhere. This woman inspires me because she's, she has no other choice and she has no other option but to trust God here. So she places her baby in the basket, releases him down the river, and she tells her daughter, follow him. Keep your eye on him. Follow him down the riverbank. And so her daughter follows him. And then this happens. Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh being the evil man, the the ruler who has set the order for all of the Hebrew people to be slaves, for all the Hebrew, Hebrew boys to be killed. His daughter comes out to bathe in the river. And at the perfect time, the basket is somehow near where she's bathing. This, the timing, we can't ignore the timing here that God is 
orchestrated for this moment. So she's bathing, and then she sees the basket, and she orders one of her servants to go get the basket. They bring the basket before her. They open the, she opens the basket, and she sees the baby is crying, immediately recognizes it's a Hebrew baby. Let's not ignore this point either. At that very moment, she could have said, he's a Hebrew, take him. It's a Hebrew boy. Do what they're doing with all the rest of them. But somehow, God moved on the heart of this woman. And she had compassion. She wasn't even one of his people, yet she, God used her and had compassion on her. And then, I mean, I can't get over this part of it all because it's just amazing to me. The daughter, his sister, her name is Miriam, she has been obedient every step of the way. She has followed her mother's orders. She has waited. She's had self-control. She's had courage and at the right time steps out and says, I can go get a Hebrew nurse for you. I want to meet that little girl. She had some boldness in her. That's insane. And I want to ask parenting tips from Joe Shebed. By the way, her name is Joe Shebed, the mother. I didn't say that. Joe Shebed is the mother. So Miriam steps out, says, I can go get a Hebrew nurse. And she says, yeah, go get her. Pharaoh's daughter says, go get me a Hebrew nurse. So, I mean, I can't even imagine how fast Miriam must have ran. Mom! Come on! It worked! Somehow! He's safe! Runs, grabs mom, brings him. Now, remember, mom has just let go of her son. She's just placed him in the basket. She's gone through the just agonizing pain of letting him go, of releasing him. And she's brought back right before Pharaoh's daughter, and she sees her baby. Now, the self-control that she must have had in this moment to not get out of the way, give me my baby. The fact that she didn't go crazy when she saw him, but she just stood there. And, she's, and the Pharaoh's daughter says, I'm going to pay you. Take this baby nurse him, and then bring him back to me. And so she's a slave, remember. She's now getting paid to do what she was born to do, to take care of her baby. And she's released to go with him. Now, if I'm just Shebit at this moment, I'm like, God, you answered my prayer. I let him go. I trusted you. You gave him back to me. I'm out of here. I would have strapped that baby on, and I would have made my own papyrus basket and gone down the river. But she didn't do that. Joshua didn't do that. She did exactly what she was asked to do. So then we go through the next. She was prob- I'm going to guess that Moses was probably about 18 months old, maybe two years old. It says that she nursed him until he was ready to go. And I couldn't help but think of my little boy, who's one and a half, and all the bonding and the just the... The moments that you have with the little ones, you know, you teach them where their eyes and their nose and their mouth are. They're, they're able to say mama, okay? You're raising this cute little one, and then the whole time she's probably going, God, please freeze time. Please freeze time. Don't let him grow. Let him just stay this age forever. I pray that now. But he grew up, and it was time. And she obeyed. She did it. She took him. And she let him go. 
free group. <laughs> All right. So how does this story apply to us today? How does this make any sense? How can I relate to this woman over 2,000 years ago? How do I even relate to her? How does this make sense in 2017? So I'm going to ask a few questions, and I'm going to respond to those questions as if I were in the shoes of Jeff Shebed. How many of us stress over decisions to be made? Me. I'll be the first in line. How many of you look around you and think there is no way, there's no way anything good is going to come from this? The circumstances that I was born into, there's no way anything good is going to come from this for, my, for me or for my family. How many of you have said to yourself, I'm just a dot, dot, dot. God can't use me. I'm just a fill in the blank. Here's what I think Jeshebeth would say to that. Stressing over decisions. She got pregnant. She had no idea why she was, what she was going to have. They didn't have ultrasound texts back then. She had to go through the agony and the toil of wondering, am I going to give birth to a boy or a girl? Then she gives birth. She has a boy. And now she decides, I have to, I have to make a choice here. I would be extremely stressed in her shoes. We don't get to read the emotions that Joshebed went through. We just get to read about the obedience that she walked out. And so we see, we see in this very moment, she's, going, she's making some stressful decisions. She's getting stressed. Anything good can come from this life? She was, a, she was born into slavery, or I'm sorry, he was born into slavery, so I really don't know how anything good could come from that, right? She had to be thinking that. All the other baby boys are being killed. I'm hiding this baby. The second I ever have to walk outside with him, everyone's going to see there are no other little boys this age. Take him to the Nile. How about I'm just a dot, dot, dot. How is God going to use me? I'm a Hebrew female slave in the middle of the desert. How is God going to use me? Some other questions we might ask ourselves, especially if you're a parent in this room. I ask myself these kinds of questions all the time. Will my late nights pay off? Will all of the tears that I cry alongside of my child, will it pay off? Will all the repetitive discipline over and over, walking through, with, throughout their life, will this, will this pay off? Will my child ever know the effort that I've taken to raise them, to do my best? Will they ever know how much I love them? I ask this question all the time, and I answer it for them. You will never know how much I love you. <laughs> Joe Shebeth probably asked many questions. Will my late hours trying to keep this baby hidden actually pay off? Am I going to lose them in three months? Will building this basket and letting him go in the river, will this actually work? Will he know the agony and the pain and the despair that I felt these last several months raising him, feeding him, nursing him throughout the night? Will he even know? God, what if, you know, okay, so he's released into Pharaoh's daughter's hand. God, will he even know where he came from? 
Will he even know his true heritage? Is he going to grow up to be evil like him? The questions that she must have wrestled with. She had to let go of him, not once, but twice. And that second time, she didn't get him back. Will he ever know me? Will he know that I was his mama? I mean, that hurts. The pain. Ooh, the pain that she went through. I think despite our circumstances and our differences that we have with Joshebed this morning, we can draw some similarities, can't we? We can draw some similarities. I'm going to share with you, be vulnerable, vulnerable with you for a few minutes. Um, recently, probably the last several months, I found myself frozen with my ability to make decisions. That first question, I pretty much wrote it to myself when I was preparing this message. How many of you get stressed over decisions? I basically was thinking through the last several months of my life, I have found myself frozen in my ability to make decisions because I'm so terrified of what the outcome is going to be for my kids. It can be food. It can be where they go to school. It can be you know, what brand of car seat it is. It can be what sports they play. And then I go down the line, and I think, well, what about, well, if they do this, then scholarships, and then they get a scholarship to go to college. And then what if, what if they don't do this and that? And I have been frozen, you guys, in my ability. I've been so worried and stressed. You might be thinking, well, sheesh, you know, take a deep breath. They're eight, six, four and two, one, one and a half. But I don't think anyone in this room, if you've ever had a big decision to make, you haven't thought long and hard about what you're going to do, right? And now, as a mother, the weight of all the decisions that I'm making on behalf of my children is coming heavily on me. I'm getting a little nervous. And so I was talking to my sister about it, and I was just like, I'm so, so frustrated. I've been praying, you know, about decision making and things like that with my kids, and and I just don't feel like God is giving me peace on anything that I'm asking him for direction for. And I'm frustrated by it. It's been very difficult for me. And she's just listening and she just says, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe God's not telling you exactly what to do. Because all he really wants you to know is that either, thing, either way you go, he's got this. Okay. <laughs> That's how I felt inside. I was like... Hang up the phone. You're not listening to me. But it hit me in that moment. It hit me. Something was not right in my heart. There was something that wasn't happening in my heart. As someone who claims to follow Jesus, surrender your heart to Jesus. God's got this. God's in control. You know, I say these things and I preach these things all the time. But something wasn't right. And then I realized, I don't believe you're going to do it, God. I don't believe it. I'm saying it, but I don't believe it. Like, I'm, I'm having a moment with you. I don't know if I trust you right now. And it was hard. This has been very hard for me these last few months. 
One of my new favorite books is called Treasuring Christ When Your Hands Are Full. It's by Gloria Furman, and she says this. My biggest problem is that I live under the illusion that I can do anything I put my mind to while I give lip service to needing God's wisdom. I need to know at a heart level that I cannot do anything gracefully to God's glory without the guidance and the help of the Holy Spirit. And when I read that, it stung. It stung because I realized for the last several months I've been giving him lip service. I've been, I've been saying, oh, you know, God, I trust you, or God, you're this, or God, you're that, or I read the Bible, write out my scripture, stick it on my mirror. But I haven't been believing it. And she says, I need to know at a heart level that I cannot do anything gracefully to God's glory without the guidance and the help of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 3, 5, I wanted to read the message version to you first because I feel like growing up in the South, if you grew up in the South, you've probably heard this scripture before. But it's Proverbs 3, 5, and it says, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, He's the one who will keep you on track. Another version of that scripture is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Do you know how many times I've heard that scripture? A lot. I grew up in church. My dad was in the ministry. I've heard that scripture a lot. I could paint like a really pretty Etsy, you know, thing with that scripture without having to look at anything because I've heard it so many times. Maybe I should make some extra money. Um, but I'm not crafty. I've told you all that. I'm not good at that kind of stuff. But anyways, let me not lose the point here. I have heard that scripture a hundred times. But I was giving lip service to God when I was saying that scripture. I didn't believe it. I wasn't trusting in the Lord with all my heart. I wasn't leaning on him. I was leaning on my own understanding. I was le- I'm, I've been leaning on my ability It's up to me. Whatever I choose to do, it's going to determine the rise or the fall of my my family. I've taken on the weight that God did not intend for me to carry. Then we go further, further, I'm sorry, not further down the scripture, but I'm going to read another passage. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And this is being said by a man named Paul, excuse me, who was an apostle, which means... He preached, he taught, he planted churches, he pastored pastors, basically. I mean, the man was amazing. He was a devoted follower of Jesus. And he writes this. He said to me, referring to Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, this is a man who has a lot of experience. He's preached. He's been imprisoned. I mean, this guy is not a rookie at following Jesus. And he talks about boasting in his weaknesses. And I was just like, when I read that, I thought to myself, 
I am not boasting in my weaknesses. I'm depending on me. I'm trusting in me. I'm trusting in my ability. I'm not leaning on Jesus. So I'm standing before you this morning because I'm determined to turn a corner here. And I'm boasting in my weakness today. I worry. I can be afraid a lot. Fearful, anxious, not trusting God. I realized in this last little journey, it's really about me having control. I think that if I can make these choices, that I can control the effects of life on my kids. I can control them getting hurt too soon. I can control them being exposed to this too early in life. I can control their ability to get dot, 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 dot. It's, about, it's been about control for me. And so today I'm boasting in my weakness before you. I've been afraid, fearful, controlling, trying in my own strength. But it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that in my weaknesses, he is made strong. And so I can raise my kids. We can raise the next generation boasting in our weakness. Andy can tell you he's, he's seen a lot of my weaknesses come to life. Never could answer. I've lost my temper. I've allowed so many things. Have you ever had that moment where you just allowed too many things to clog your mind and then you just lose it on anything that's breathing around you? I've done that. And I've laid my head on my pillow at night and I've felt guilt and shame and heaviness. And the Holy Spirit just comes in because this is how good he is. He comes in and he says, you're doing it in your own strength. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Amy. Lean on me. Lean on me. Go to bed. Wake up and try again. I can't even imagine what Moses' mother felt. I've tried to transport us to her shoes today. I've tried to take us there. But we really won't ever know what happened when she had to let go of him. But she was obedient. She hid that baby. She kept him for three months. God told her to. She said, okay. Then she had to build a basket. God asked her, you know, float him down the river. Okay. I have no other choice over here, so God, I'm just going to trust you with this. Then she's given him back and has to let go of him again for good. She didn't run like I would have. She said, okay. She was probably terrified and dying on the inside, but she did it. The stay-at-home mom, if you will, said yes to God. And God used her son. Moses grew up. He discovered his heritage. 
he discovered who he truly was. Moses encountered God in a desert land in a powerful way. God asked Moses to approach Pharaoh and petition him to let all the Hebrew people go. And he was a little bit more resistant than Joshebed at first. But eventually he said, okay, I'm going to do it. I trust you, God. And this female Hebrew slave, courageous mama, was part of the freeing of over 600,000 slaves. That's incredible. We don't hear anything else about her. It stops when she returns Moses to Pharaoh's daughter. But I felt like today God said, tell them about her. Let them know. It's important. The daily things are important in what you're doing. You could be raising up the next leader that brings those who are bound into freedom. Worship team, would you guys please come up? We're going to end the service a little differently today. Because I feel like there's something that God wants to do in our hearts this morning. Now, don't be distracted by everything that's happening behind me. If you would, in your seat, in your cards um, where the pen was attached, there are these different colored note cards. If you can't find one, find an empty seat and grab it. We're going to take a moment. And I want to ask you all a question. This isn't, an op- this isn't something to worry about your neighbor, to worry about what your person next to you is going to be writing down. But I have a question for us this morning, and I want you to write down what you feel the Holy Spirit is saying to you. My question to us this morning is, what are you holding on to and afraid to hand over to God? What are you holding on to and afraid to hand over to God? For me... Control, didn't trust him. It's a continual work in me. It's a continual work in us. Let me just point this out. When you put your faith in Jesus and you follow him, he doesn't do this like complete renovation in like one second because I think we would spontaneously combust. He gently walks with us every step of the way and little by little, little brings healing restoration. I had no idea that I was wrestling with distrust. But the Lord made it known to me in the most gentle way. So I want you to write down on that card. The ushers are going to come around in just a moment. Ushers, I didn't talk to you about this, but if you could go get the baskets in the back. What are you holding on to? and afraid to hand I want you to write it down on the card the worship team is going to lead us in a song this morning called I Surrender whatever it is drop in the card when, it come, when the baskets come around dropping it in the basket is not going to bring healing to your heart this is just an action 
step. And when we sing this song, that thing that you wrote down on the card, I want you to put it in the basket and then I want you to stand. You don't have to, don't be uncomfortable. But I want you to sing these words and that thing, maybe it's more than one, maybe it's, I'm depending on me to keep my marriage intact. I'm depending on me to find someone to marry. That's real. Write it down. And when we stand and sing this in just a moment, I want you to just release those things. I surrender. Lord, have your way. Have your way in me. God, I give over my